0: Donald Trump is the next president of the United States. I'm Gene Demby,
1: and I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji, and this is the Twilight Zone, the post-election <laughs> episode, <laughs> also known as Code Switch. Uh, Gene, mm-hmm. how how do you feel right now?
0: Uh, you know, a little a little disoriented. Um, I think a lot of us woke up on November fifth, two thousand eight, thinking, "Oh, wow, this country." Maybe some of my premises about the way this country works and its ability to grapple with these issues of race, um, maybe I was being too pessimistic about them. Maybe I didn't know this country as well as I thought I did, right? Because
1: we had elected our first black president.
0: Right. I think a lot of folks out there did not feel that way, although they felt something really similar. They woke up to a country that they did not recognize and said, maybe I don't know this country as well as I thought I did. And so Mm -hmm. now, you know, I think we're dealing with the pendulum swinging the other way in which those people, I guess got to remake the country in their image in some ways so yeah that's how I'm feeling how are you doing sis unsettled Mm -hmm.
1: unsettled because a man uh, who called Mexican immigrants rapists Mm -hmm. um, a man who wants to build a wall on the US Mexico border and make Mexico pay for it a man who said he'd ban Muslims from coming into the country um, he's about to be our new commander-in-chief so uh, I I guess the word is unsettled
0: unsettled that's a good strong word (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> is it strong? It feels a little mushy to me, but you know, what can you do?
0: Yeah, well, you know, we, we're trying to toe some lines here right now. <laughs>
1: yes, that's right. We're journalists. And and the great thing is we're going to talk all about this with a comedian. Her name is Nagin Farsad. She's the author of a new book, How to Make White People Laugh. She's the host of the podcast Fake the Nation.
0: And Gustavo Ariano is joining us. He's the editor of the OC Weekly. He's also the author of the syndicated column Ask a Mexican
1: so Jean the working title for this podcast was a couple weeks ago when I was thinking about it um mm-hmm. a Muslim that's mm-hmm. Nagin yep. and a Mexican that's Gustavo Walk into a bar after the election and get drunk with a Puerto Rican and a brother you. from Philly. That's me. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that title works anymore.
0: Oh, no, no. I think we should uh, all still go for a drink.
1: Yes. I, I was supposed to bring a flask. I forgot the flask. Um, and I'm not sure our guests are even in the mood to laugh or make us laugh
0: Um, They better get uh, on today. it because uh, <laughs> I think we all need it.
1: No pressure. Negin and Gustavo, welcome to Code Switch. What's Hi,
2: up, guys? <laughs> How are Let's y'all doing? laugh. <laughs> Let's good, laugh. Good, <laughs> good. I am more excited than I have been in a long, long time. Because Wait. now is a time to fight and have fun while we fight
3: wow you recover so quickly Gustavo because <laughs> I am still in full weep I mean they uh they've outfitted this recording studio with a couple of boxes of uh, tissue so thank you for that because I am <laughs> literally going through it but uh but you're, you're' you're fast picking up yourself up and dusting yourself off wow well
2: well maybe because I was already in the middle of the belly of the beast. so I don't know where y'all were uh, on election night but I got to hang out with the Republican Party in Orange County California Wait, what was and that, that like? makes
1: you feel good <laughs> it,
2: it, no, I, I was, it's like, well, I, you know, I, I could be more philosophical, but I'm not going to. But that, this idea that once you see right into the belly of the beast, you get a revelation and you see a path forward. That's exactly what I saw. So I was hanging out with people who, when Megyn Kelly from Fox News was on the screen, they were flipping her off. They were calling her a traitor and no friend to Patriots. Every, I mean, I'm not even going to repeat what they were saying about Hillary. Oh, besides, you know, lock her up, lock her up. And what I hope that we not get discouraged. I know it's horrible. Oh my God, we have, uh, we have uh, a small-handed uh, man as the president-elect Just of the United States. <laughs> but it is time, folks. It is time, Rasa, and all, and all my brothers and sisters. It is time to get down.
3: I mean, what's really shocking is that you brought up something, which is that we have to look to people like, <laughs> cough, Megyn Kelly, to be our new heroes or something. Like, they're now the adults in the room. Uh, people like Paul Ryan. Like, I'm, I'm hanging my hopes on him to not get rid of my uh, Obamacare, because otherwise I won't have coverage. Uh, that's some material wanna... I'm working on. The I, I won't be insured once uh, they, they take away Obamacare uh, material. Nagin you had to tell jokes last night
1: right to a live audience
3: yeah But that was, like, in a world where, like, I thought Hillary was winning. Like, Uh, this was at 8.30 p.m. And I was like, guys, like, wait until the West Coast returns come in. This is fine. Like, (laughs) what I'm really concerned about is, like, how Hillary Clinton is going to up her pantsuit game. Because she has been one-upping herself on pantsuits this entire time. And there's, I mean, there's only so many places you can go with the pantsuit. And now I was just, like, doing straight, like, happy Hillary Clinton bits. And that was fun. And then the world changed. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, I really want to know how you feel. Well, I mean, here's what I think has happened. You know, we sort of, like, have been deluding ourselves that things are great. Um, you know, like in 2008, we elected a black president, right? Um, he had this really diverse cast. Like, Mindy Kaling got her own show. Like, Kevin Hart was selling out stadiums. Like, Beyonce is a feminist. And we're like, you know what? This is kind of great. Like, we're doing really well. And But it turns out we were just, you know, putting lipstick on a pig only to find out that the pig uh, is racist. And um, and now uh, president of the United States. And here's what, uh, what, what I think has happened is, like we, in that kind of like diluting ourselves, let the bigots build up. Sort of like when you don't look at your inbox for a while and then you're just like, oh, I'll get to my emails later. I'll get to my emails later. And then you look at your emails, you're like, oh, my God, how do I have 20,000 bigots in my inbox? Like, that's what it has been. We have not been checking our emails. And now it's out of control. Like, it's owning us.
1: Speaking of shocking, Gustavo, 33 percent of the Latino vote went for Trump. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, You need to, I'm I'm going to ask a Mexican right now. I'm asking (laughs) you (laughs) to tell me how did that happen?
2: There's nothing shocking about that at all. There's okay, and, and I'm not and I'm not even counting I'm not even counting the Cubanos down in Florida. All Latinos always love to blame anything bad about Latinos. Oh, blame me on the Cubanos from <laughs> Miami, you know, anti-Castro blah blah blah. Look, let's not pretend that a lot of Latinos, especially males and especially immigrants, they like the caudillo. In other words, a mythical man on horseback, the dictator, the autocrat. Uh- and it's been all across Latin America. That's in our blood, and so a lot of people, they, or a lot of Latinos, they love the fact that you know, at least in their mind. I'm not saying this. I, I definitely don't believe it. But oh, you know, Donald Trump tells it like it is. Donald Trump, uh, you know, says the truth. You know, he doesn't kowtow to political correctness. Hillary Clinton is, you know, the, the opposite of that. A lot of Latinos like that authoritarian figure for better or for worse. And on our end, those of us, you know, on the left side of the Latino spectrum, we have to, we know this. But like what we we're saying earlier, it's like. A lot of people have been living in a delusion for the past eight years, thinking everything's hunky-dory, blah, 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 blah. No, you, it's not. It never has been. And while we have all been celebrating, and, you know, Mindy Kaling, God bless her, and Beyonce at the Super Bowl and whatever, the other side was seething, building, building, and here we are
0: now. A few weeks ago when all these numbers, all the poll numbers said that Latinos are going to break hard for Hillary Clinton, were you sort of like, nah, I don't I don't buy that at all? You thought that this was possible?
2: Oh no, I, I knew a lot of Latinos were going to go out in force and vote against her but the pro- and this is what I, this is actually what I've been advocating in my column. It's like, hey Raza it's all good that we're in the southwest but don't live in the southwest anymore. We're just building up a little empire. Go off to Kentucky go off to Montana, go off to New Hampshire that is Rio Reconquista. You be the swing vote in that state. We'll, okay, so cool we got a new Latina senator, first ever Latina senator in the state of Nevada, Nevada. taking over for Harry Reid. Yeah, that's cool but like, that's not good enough. That's not going to swing elections. Like, we're able to Win for Obama uh, against Romney in 2012. But in the face of something like this, like, oh gosh, I like now, like my cousin who I told moved to Pennsylvania in the middle of Pennsylvania and open a taqueria and become a millionaire, he could have been that decisive swing vote that could have given Pennsylvania to Hillary. Instead, nah, he's in Southgate here in California. So Uh, sad. And Pennsylvania,
0: we, I mean, we desperately need better Mexican food too. So you know what I mean? (laughs)
2: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) I'm thinking about, you know, recrimination. I mean, people of color, you know, allies of people of color. Are we going to start, you know, pointing fingers at each other? You know, there's this big fall off in her share of the black vote due to black men. Um, He won, like, as Shereen said. Yeah, I'm pointing
1: my finger at you, Gene.
0: Well, (laughs) let's blame (laughs) millennials. Come on, let's all blame millennials. (laughs) He won a third of the Latino vote, as Shereen just said. Even after calling Mexican immigrants rapists, you know, white women didn't break very hard for Hillary at all. I think they're the only demographic of women that voted for Trump. Do you think there's going to be a lot of, like, bloodletting? Uh, after this among people who thought they were part of a broader political coalition
3: I mean, I just want to say that I think all the Iranians who for whom we have no statistics totally yeah. voted for Hillary. <laughs> if, if they took a break from enriching uranium to go to the voting polls, they would have voted um, for Hillary. Uh, but I think, you know, right now you can be self-hating and you can be bigoted. And that's who, who brought Trump into power. And I think we need to enter in some sort of like leave no bigot left behind policy and really like not let these people slip through the cracks anymore like that. I don't I don't even want to blame Hillary. Like Hillary ran an effective campaign. She was poised. She was presidential. She had policies, actual policies. At no point did Donald Trump actually ever have policies. That's oh. the other thing. So, I mean, another thing we could do if we want to point some fingers is maybe blame the media. Um, the, the the good old story of false equivalence was a big one. Uh, and and we heard that time and time again.
2: Oh no! Uh, Donald has a policy: build a wall, deport 11 million undocumented folks, ban Muslims from coming into this country. Those are pretty. Those are pretty uh, significant policies True. there. But I, I and I unfortunately I do think there is going to be a lot of finger pointing. It happened over here in California in 2008 oh, yeah. when they passed the anti-LGBT uh, uh, it was it Prop 8. Mm-hmm. Everyone blamed African Americans and Latinos yep, for right. voting, and it was actually built on a, a, on a faulty read of statistics. Yeah, but was. the left, especially LGBT folks, oh, you know these minorities, they were supposed to be standing with us LGBT folks and no, they have their conservative politics that you're going to see a lot of a lot of that for you know months and months to go. But I think it's important in our end. It's like, look, if we really care about this country, if we really if we really value who we are as people of color in this country and what we've done to the United States, we need to get over that fast. We need to have people and say, look, like it's fine at all to blame people. But meanwhile, the other side's going to be building even more. The whole media wanted to say like, oh, yeah, you know the GOP's imploding no it's it's the Democrats who imploded and I, I just hope that there's good people who are going to be able to stop that
1: has this election cycle made either of you do any self-reflection have you had to interrogate any of your own you know biases uh, your own assumptions about racism and sexism you know who's on your team who's not on your team
2: and fortunately, as as a reporter here in Orange County, where we cover the other side and we also go in, against ineffectual Democratic Party leaders locally, I, I'm not surprised by this at all. I, I, and if anything is actually upsetting me, it's how much our side lives in a bubble. So, you know, going back to what the past eight years, what we've seen is good. We've deluded ourselves and just sort of, uh, you know, had blinders to what was going on around us. I'm not surprised. Way too many people of my friends are. You know, in, in, in Spanish, we have a saying, ponte las pilas, put on your, your batteries, like like be alert and do something about it. We all have to ponernos las pilas, straight up.
0: All right, y'all, we're going to take a real quick break here. When we come back, more with our guests, Gustavo Ariano and Nikin Farsad. And what is up with all this Islamophobia? Seriously, what's up with that? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> this is Code Code Switch.
3: Let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor, LearnVest. Did you know the average indebted American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt and 31% of Americans have zero retirement savings? The good news is LearnVest is here to help. LearnVest is redefining financial planning by making it affordable and accessible to everyday Americans. When you work with LearnVest, you tell them what you want to accomplish with your money and they'll create a customized financial plan to help you get there. To see a financial plan and get a $50 credit, go to learnvest.com slash codeswitch.
1: Are you a fledgling music nerd who wishes you knew more about what's out there? The All Songs Considered podcast from NPR Music might fix that. All Songs is NPR's music discussion and discovery podcast. Bob Boylan and Robin Hilton share the best of what's new and up and coming in music, including an extended conversation with Justin Vernon, frontman of Bon Iver. Find lots of songs to fall in love with with All Songs Considered. Every Tuesday on the NPR One app and at npr.org podcasts. And now back to a Muslim and a Mexican walk into a bar after the election to chop it up with a Persia Rican and a brother from Philly. Our guests are Gustavo Ariano and Nagin Farsad. Negin, top of mind for me right now, and maybe it is because I am part Iranian, my father is Muslim, etc., is Islamophobia. What's going to happen with it? Where is it going to go? Are we still going to have to live with it for the next four years
3: you know it's interesting because as a comedian I've traveled the country a lot and you know uh, one of the things I did um, in in 2011 2012 I made a movie called The Muslims Are Coming where I rounded up a bunch of Muslim American (laughs) comedians and we went around to like the red states and we did stand up and we called the shows The Muslims Are Coming and a lot of people came out confused but a lot of people came out to laugh and and it was a really remarkable experience that movie is available on iTunes you know if you need to uh, (laughs) download it now Muslim (laughs) antidote uh, to these elections, but the you know the thing is, I was like I I was out there, and and what I found over and over again was that people just hadn't met any Muslims, and here I was, you know, five foot three, dressed like a cartoon character, and like a you know a girl who just probably seems utterly un- unintimidating to anyone, and so they were willing to talk to me. People, mm-hmm. um, I would I would approach people in the middle of a town square, I would approach people on their way to work or whatever, and I found that. It's not that people are just racist. It's just that people just don't know any better, is that mm-hmm. people don't get the, the same kind of information. If you are given one narrative and it is saturating the media that, like, Muslims are violent or whatever, or that Mexicans are trying to take your job and they're rapists, like, that's the, the narrative that you're going to know. Um, and so that's what you're going to vote with. So it's really not a it's not an issue of like, I, I was hopeful then. I knew that there were like that we had a bigotry problem. And I met a lot of the people who had that problem, but I was hopeful because I felt like with every person I met that there was like a a, a small portion of them that was like melting at like, well, you know, this girl's kind of fun, and she gave me free pastries, which we did (laughs) at every tour stop, Um, and so. So, well, we 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 went with cupcakes. We wanted to be, you know, mainstream and build a bridge. Um, I hope I had
2: rose water though,
3: <laughs> and cardamom. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, that was the 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 goal was was to kind of know, to meet people where they were. And I feel like if we do that, they will come around. Um, it's not natural for people to just like hate large groups of other people.
0: I mean, do do do, you, do you really feel that way? I mean, I'm curious as to how you read these results as anything other than sort of a rejection of the pluralism that seems to be part of what your work in The Muslims Are Coming and, Gustavo, what, what your work in Ask Mexican is like trying to do on some level is to sort of advocate for, you know, pluralism in The American Project, right? I really do think this is the last gasp of a certain
2: segment of America, which is a big segment, which is a segment that's frightened to death of pluralism, frightened to death of multiculturalism, frightened to death of people who are not, you know, quote unquote white. But and they see that the future of America is not going to be like this. So this is their last, you know, this is their last gasp. But This is their revenge. You know, who's the real prophet in all this? Michael Moore. He called this a long time ago. He said that Trump was going to win because he was reaching those disaffected white folks, working class white folks who whose America is not the America they grew up with. Well, okay, it's not. And now this is our America, and our America is going to be the future. So we have to build on that, and we can't lose sight of that. That you know, unless he starts supporting a lot of people, which unfortunately I think he might, and we're going to fight that as well. The future is ours, you know. And white folks, they're going to have a, you know, they're going to have a say in this country as well. Of course, you know, they're going to have beautiful half brown grandkids and whatnot. But we're going to make it happen.
3: Uh, You know, I think Gustavo is totally right. Like this is the last gasp. Let them have that, this like last dance, and then we'll take over the dance. Floor. I mean, right now it's really hard because we don't see a sort of silver lining. Like, there's no there's no consolation prize. It's not like you got Donald Trump, but you also get a four year free supply of Kind bars or like I don't know what. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, there's just been no. We're not seeing anything right now, so it's really hard. But this is the last gasp, and just numerically speaking, it is impossible for the country to keep going in this direction.
0: I mean, I again. I mean, I'm always the person who's like, I'm surprised by your optimism, but I'm surprised <laughs> at this like assumption that this is the last gasp. I mean, whiteness is so central to the construction of of like American identity, and it is central to the idea of like the constraints of the imagination of the American project. Like the thing, the thing that's sort of frustrating about. Our project, frankly, is like one of the things that we have to do all the time uh, at Code Switch. Is be like, and we try not to do this, but we have to like start from the position that we might have, we might have to make the argument for our humanity somewhere in the in the conversation we're having. That it is not a given. We have to like attend to the fears and concerns and questions of white people before we can even get to the sort of the like stuff that requires a like, real imagination. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I don't know, man. Like I feel like this idea that. That stuff is a given that like this paroxysm of, you know, whatever is an outlier, I think is dangerous to think about it that way. I just think it's really, it's really seductive to be like, oh, just the momentum, the demographic momentum will will, will change all this. Nah, man, that's not that. I I can't. I don't think that. And I definitely don't think that after last night.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, the Latino vote was supposed to deliver Hillary her win, right? Yeah. Demographic movements and
2: damn Cubans. <laughs> no. you know no, what, no, guys. No, this morning, we, yeah, I woke
3: ahead. up. I, I I left my apartment this morning and like in tears. And uh, and my neighbor was also walking out. And he's this like forty something white guy. And we just looked at each other. We're both weeping. And then we start hugging. No words. And I was like, see, this like you know forty something white guy is the like mythical white guy that everyone's worried about what they think and what they're going to do and how they're controlling us and how they're controlling our f- female bodies and and there there are these white guys that just aren't like that they live in New York, no. City, in, yeah. and <laughs> New York City and Los Angeles okay but like and Chicago I'm going to spread this guy's DNA <laughs> to Michigan, Florida, Pennsylvania
0: That sounds nasty <laughs> <laughs> Are you calling for a great migration of brown people out into the. Well, that's what Gustavo
1: was saying. Oh
2: my gosh. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) New Hampshire, here we come.
1: But what if they're not listening at all? I mean, we were talking about how. speaking of silos Nagin, you know fox news there there's that silo there's you know possibly the there's the msnbc silo i'll keep npr out of it but we're are we <laughs> how how are we having these keep conversations like we're just listening to the people that we want to listen to the people right. that we agree with I, and i i feel like that with code switch i mean isn't the idea, yes, to have these conversations and and to, I don't know, maybe change some people's minds, but I don't know if those people are even listening.
0: Right, have they self-selected out of these conversations in the first place?
2: I, I think when we talk about our silos, like one of the things that has bothered me this past year is how people lionizing John Oliver. And I like John Oliver. I think he's absolutely mm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. But everyone who was saying, oh, he's so brilliant or whatever, I was telling people, like, uh, other better reporters have been reporting on this for years but because he's doing it from the left and he's doing it like you know he, he's not really he's only preaching to the choir that's not going to be effective at all and Oliver was not effective I re- he did not win any elections mm. for us he did nothing other than make people feel good about themselves and I think that's one thing that I, I at least those of us who are in media or in comedy have to do and, and I think you know a tour about Muslims going out that is brave you are going into the belly of the beast and you're making people laugh and I really think at the end that, I mean, I I do think hearts and minds are changed that way, but we have to go to the other side and get at them.
3: Yeah, I think of, like, we definitely need to meet people where they are, um, and that's part of the problem, I think, with a lot of, you know, this kind of, like, the, the so, quote-unquote left-wing uh, media um, is that we don't necessarily go to where they are, and I think that's something that we should do. But I, I'm, I'm actually still encouraged, you know, you got to look at something like, um, you know, marriage equality, and if you had said to me 10 years ago, we're going to have marriage equality, I would have been like, you're nuts. Like yeah. Like, middle America hates gay people. That's not happening, you know? But th- you know what? I think the biggest force in getting marriage equality was, A, friends of gay people who are straight, so allies, get your allies, and then, B, culture. I mean, if we think that Will and Grace didn't have a, some kind of role to play in us loving, you know, like like a gay character on television and then, and then equating that with something like humanity, we'd be wrong. If we think Ellen had nothing to do with it, I mean, we'd be wrong. Like, I think that culture has this effect on people where... If you if you come into someone's living room, um, and 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 you're relatable and you're adorable and you're whatever it is, I
0: mean, I mean, I think listening to your point, I mean, I, there's this weird paradox here, right? You're saying we should go out into the world, uh, that people of color should go out in the world and have more interactions with white folks, and then uh, they will become more familiar with us, um, and that seems to be like the story of marriage equality in a lot of ways, in that like you know people can. Can wrap their minds, or at least can like imagine a world in which they might have a child. One of their children might be queer, right? Yeah. Um, might be LGBTQ. But people don't live in a world in which their kids even go to school with black kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like even go to school with Latino kids. And I think like the but idea that we're going to be too
1: much. Gene, what you say? I-, I just feel like was it all too much change in a short period of time? Marriage equality, a black president, transgender bathrooms. You know, uh, NFL players putting their knees down Black Lives Matter Black Lives Matter was it just like oh my gosh this is too much like who are we this is
0: disorienting but the thing and this goes back to the thing though is like while we're trying to figure out like how white people feel about this stuff these are real people's lives we're talking about on the other side of it right I mean DACA is going to have consequences for thousands of people right hundreds like,
2: of thousands yeah
0: hundreds of thousands of people right um, and emboldens uh, uh, police departments right like using the law and order rhetoric of the late eighties and early nineties, that's gonna have consequences for communities of color, right? Like all the the runoff of the anxiety that white folks feel is gonna fall on people of color. I don't know I don't know what to do about that.
3: And can I say something to like my fellow people of color in in like how to approach this. I think, you know, and also to your point, Shereen, about it, maybe there was just too much too soon, um, that sometimes our movements can be alienating. And one of the things that I learned when I was, you know, people always ask me, like, what, when you're on the road, like, what's some of the craziest things you see? And I think some of the craziest things I see is when people feel safe enough to say to me, ask me questions like, why do you call yourself Iranian-American? Why can't you just call yourself Mm American-American? And that's the kind of question that I think someone would just call racism bigotry like you know throw this guy Twitter rage Um, and to me that's not this is not a bad question this is an honest question and I think we need to recognize that people have honest questions and stuff they don't understand and they're not asking because they are you know that because they're trying to be racist Um, so I think that's something that we we have to be careful of and I think we can bring a lot more people in the fold if we are
1: And we're going to leave it right there. Gustavo Ariano is joining us from Irvine, California. If you don't know where that is, Google it. And Nagin Farsad uh, is in New York City. Thank you both. Thank you. Gracias. De nalgas.
2: Ah, right.
1: that's
0: fun. <laughs> All right, y'all. That's our show. We want to hear from you, as always. Please email us at codeswitch at npr.org. Follow us on Twitter at NPR codeswitch. You should definitely, definitely subscribe to our podcast, wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed.
1: Walter Ray Watson and Rund Abdel Fatah produced this episode. Our editorial assistant is Leah Danella, and we had original music by Ramteen Arab-Louis.
0: A shout-out to the rest of the Code Switch family, Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby-Bates, Kat Chow. Our editors this week are Barry Hardiman, Keith mm-hmm. Woods, and Ali McAdam.
1: I'm Jean Demby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Shereen Marisol-Moraji. Be easy. Peace.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org podcast.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. OCI is the platform for database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive at oracle.com slash NPR.
1: All that sitting and the swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated.